0: I love that he redeems everything, and he speaks, and I'm set free. That is a truth that we need to hold on to. I love it. And you know what else I love? I love free time. Amen? That was a great, great day. I so appreciate talking to a lot of you ladies today as you spoke to me about what you surrendered. I want you to know it's not lost on me how important that is and I just spoke to a lady who said how could you have known and I said I, did, I didn't but guess what that's how you know God sees you and he desperately loves you there is a poem that I love called the hound of heaven it was written by Francis Thompson in 1890 and, and Francis Thompson is a drug addict and And he knows Jesus. He's a drug addict, and he knows Jesus. And guess what? Kept running from him. Kept running from him. And throughout the poem, he talks about the hound of heaven. You know why he called him the hound of heaven? He called God the hound of heaven because he never stopped pursuing him. Never. Not one time. Until the very end, he turns around to him. And guess what? Life change happens when you turn around to the hound of heaven. But remember, he is always pursuing you. Always. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing your stories with me today. But this morning we left Naomi telling Ruth in chapter 2, verse 20 the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers kind of an interesting sentence especially because this statement along with the kindness of boaz changes Naomi's perspective on life and this the statement gives her hope it reminds her that God sees her despite her circumstances That even when everything is dark, God is working on her behalf. We talked about that this morning. John Piper said that hope helps us to dream. And we see exactly that. Because guess what? Naomi starts dreaming. That girl starts making plans. You can tell that she has hope. She says to Ruth in verse 3-1, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you. And that word rest in the original language is a settled spot, a place of rest, a home. And what she's asking her is saying, I should find you a husband. That's what she's saying. And really, this has been her prayer since the beginning. Do you remember last night when she's urging her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab? And the reason why is she said, The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. This has been her prayer from the beginning. This is what she wants for her daughter-in-law. She wants good things. She's wanting to find her a husband because she knows in that culture that she needed that protection and provision which allowed her to find a settled spot, a place of rest, a home. And that's what she wants to find in Boaz. Isn't he one of our redeemers? And we're going to get into that in just a minute. So my third child... Her name is Natalie. She just recently told me that my matchmaking skills are not wanted or needed in her life. She's gonna be 22 soon, and I feel like she doesn't know what a gem she has because I'm pretty good. Just so you know a little bit about my resume, my my husband's brother, and so my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, I set them up on a blind date years ago. Guess what, they're still happily married. That's a, a feather in my cap, right? But she doesn't care. She doesn't care. And I've made two wrong calls on her behalf, so I understand where she's coming from. (laughs) I do. But the the fact is, I think that her punishment is, is unjust and unfair. Really, I do, because I feel like I have some skills. So she just recently graduated from college in December, and she's currently teaching elementary school in Arizona. And as her mom, I want her to move to California. So, and, and I know I can't be in control of that, but as much as I can, I'm, I decided that love is a great motivator for people to move. And so I keep my eyes open. And one Sunday, there was a, a new young man up on stage at our church. He's playing in the band, and I thought, I wonder who he is. And so I thought, well, the very first thing I have to do is find out his relationship status, because I don't want to tread where I shouldn't go on her behalf, right? And, and so I texted my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, because he, he um, volunteers in the worship band, and I expect him to know all of the things. And I, so I, I asked him. Guess what he said? I don't know. I don't know anything about him. But he does go a step further, and he texts the worship pastor. And said, hey, we need some information on this guy. (laughs) So you see where this is going, right? And so you have to understand that I'm not like Naomi. I'm not disclosing everything to Ruth. I'm keeping my cards close. Natalie knows none of this is happening because she would definitely put an end to it. And so about a week later, the worship pastor gets back to my brother-in-law and we find out he's single and so and he gave us a name so that's good because now i know his name so fast forward to christmas i'm super excited that i have this information and i keep it in my pocket for the right time so now it's christmas day my daughter is home And we, and by we, I mean my whole family, think there's a lot of us and we're all loud. So, we're standing at a kitchen island, as we often do, and I'm standing there with my kids and a bunch of cousins. And I decide, this is the appropriate time. (laughs) It's going to happen. So, I turn myself, because my daughter's here, and I I know I can't look at her, and I act like I'm talking to the cousins, but I'm not talking to her. And I said, hey, so there's this new guy about Natalie's age. And I can see her in my peripheral vision. And all of a sudden, she locks onto me. I could tell. And Natalie, she could win a gold medal at Death Stairs. I am not kidding. And I feel her eyes boring into my very soul at that moment. But I don't care. I play it cool. And I'm like, he's really cute. And I, I think he loves Jesus because he's playing worship music. Absolutely, Right. And so, and, um, you know, I just, I found out he's single. And then I threw out his name, to which one of the cousins responds, Oh, I know him. He's in high school. (laughs) Oops. I said, Oh, I, I didn't know. I thought he looked older. And my daughter's standing right next to me, my oldest daughter. And she says, Oh, you never, never trust my mom to know the age of anyone and at this point my Natalie standing over here is shaking her head and she goes and has a conversation with some other people in that group of people is my brother-in-law I did not tell him that this was top-secret information this is stuff that's between us it doesn't need to go outside of us and so she finds out the whole story and you know the, the trail of texts goes deep. It really does. It goes very deep. So she walks into the room and she's like, no more, Julie. And I know when she uses my first name, she means business. So I am out of the matchmaking game. That just happened this Christmas, although I still am keeping my eyes open. But see, this is not so for Naomi. She has this elaborate plan of of matchmaking Ruth and Boaz. And unlike my kids, Ruth obeys her, right? (laughs) She obeys her. So we're going to start in verses 2 through 5 in chapter 3. And it says, Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? That's his servants when she's harvesting. See how he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So let's stop there. When you're done harvesting your fields, what you would do is you would go to a place, it's called a threshing floor. And there you would either beat out or tread out your grain. You would be separating the stalk from the grain. After that, you would take a winnowing fork. And the, the, usually a, a threshing floor is up higher so the wind can come down. And he, they would throw the grain up. The wind would catch the stalks or the chaff and then the grain would fall to the ground they would continue to do this until it was all grain this would take a while and so when you were doing this you would sleep with your grain to protect it and in a small community a lot of times many farmers shared the threshing floor and so naomi knows because she's been doing some sleuthing she knows tonight is boaz's turn at the threshing floor And so she tells Ruth, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. And I'm just going to tell you, my kids would have never said okay. This is an interesting story, but what it amounts to is that Naomi is telling Ruth to ask Boaz to marry her. But in order for our culture to understand that, we have to understand two words in ancient Israel that were very commonplace. And one is this idea of leveret marriage, the law of leveret marriage. And the other is is this, this word kinsman redeemer, And so it will help us understand the situation that's happening here. In the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, we are constantly referring to God God as a covenant-keeping God. We've talked about it all weekend long. He's a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises, which means... That he told Israel, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise to you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And throughout the Old Testament, he constantly tells them, hey, I'm your God. You're my people. Why does he do that? We talked about it this morning. It's because he wants them to understand their identity. Because they will act out of what they believe about themselves, right? So he's constantly reminding them. And he also knows that we as humans have very short um, memories about who we are. And then we go a step further in the covenant promise. And he says, not only will you be my people, but I'm going to give you a land. And it's it's the land of Canaan. And it became Israel because, you remember, they were driving out the Canaanites. And he says, that will be your land. It's called the promised land. That's where Elimelech and Naomi left, that promised land. And so throughout the Old Testament, as we're constantly reading about this covenant, we're like land and people, land and people. So we realize that people and land must be very important to God. It's somehow all tied into this covenant. And this is why he gives us the law of leveret marriage and kinsman redeemer so let's start with the law of levirate marriage dr david jeremiah explains it this way in the old testament in order to preserve the people of israel remember people are important to god the brother of a man who died without children would marry the deceased man's wife and the first child born in that relationship would perpetuate the name of the man who died so let's put that in plain language Let's say my husband dies. We don't have any kids. His brother would be obligated to marry me. And the reason why is so that our firstborn would then perpetuate my husband's line. Because the line of people were very important in Israel. And, and because of this, the, the, if we look at the characters in our story, we have to realize that the whole male line is gone. Right? Elimelech's whole line is gone. And so not only would his family name be blotted out, but the people from that family line would not receive their inheritance of land. Why? Because there was not a male heir to receive it. So land and people again. This is why Leveret marriage is so important in this culture. And then if we, not only is the family line preserved, then we start looking at the land. The land is also important to God. And and he says he wants his land to stay within the family. And he tells us why in Leviticus 25, 23 through 25. It says the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Basically what he's saying there is that you are not sovereign over this land. I am. You are just stewards of it. You do not own it. I own it. So it goes to who I want it to go to. Amen? That's what he's saying. And then in verse 24, he says, Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. There's that word again. But now we're talking about the redemption of land. And in verse 25, it says, If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So this um, part of scripture goes on to talk about many scenarios in which this could happen. And, but all of those scenarios have one thing in common, this idea of redemption, of redeeming. And this is the Hebrew word ga'el, and it means to redeem, right? That's what it means. But it also is one who redeems is a goel. And so to redeem something means to buy back. That's all it means. It's a legal term saying you're going to buy it back. So what God is saying that if your land is sold outside of your family, then your nearest relative is going to redeem it. He's going to buy it back. And actually, he goes so far as to say that if a family member can't do that for 50 years, every 50 years, God puts in place the year of Jubilee, where all debts are canceled and all land transfers back to the original family line because it's that important to him. And I love how the Bible project explains why it's important. It says the land is not simply a geographical backdrop. It acts as a picture of covenant faithfulness as God's people try and often fail to live out their divine calling. See, the pattern of God giving humans land to to which, which to flourish begins in the Garden of Eden, right? He gives them Eden. And the human's relationship with God is inextricably linked to the land he gave them. And to live in, the, in God's space is to live with God. This is why it's important. This is why it's important. See, he walked with Adam and Eve in Eden, right? And then Adam and Eve have this perfect relationship with God, and then they sin. And because of that sin, their relationship to God is broken, And so then now this covenant God comes to his people and he said, you know what? I'm going to give you land. And inside that land, I'm going to set up a tabernacle and then a temple. Why? Because I want to dwell with you. That's important to me. I want to dwell with you. So this land really gives people or gave Israel an opportunity for intimacy with God. And that's why the land is so important. It's because of intimacy with God. And that is why God set up this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And in the book of Ruth, we only see this word kinsman redeemer. But it is actually taking both the law of leveret marriage and kinsman redeemer and putting them together. And that is what Naomi wants Boaz to do for Ruth. See, a redeemer or a goel is usually a senior member of the family. And he he often has wealth, as we know Boaz does, because he has the power to protect and provide for the family. He has the power to defend the family. And there were different functions in um, the Old Testament for a goel, for a redeemer. And one of them is to buy back land if it was sold outside of the family one of it is to buy a family member out of slavery. Because what would happen is that if I got myself into debt, I would become someone's bond servant until my debt was paid off. Unless someone in my family came to buy me out of it. But there's also this one part of a goel, and it's called a redeemer of blood. And in that case, he is fighting for justice. Because a member of your family has been murdered, and his blood needs to be avenged. That is another part of a goel. And so this is what Naomi wants Boaz to do for Ruth. And really, anybody could have married Ruth, but not anyone could have redeemed her. See, Boaz was able to redeem Naomi, was able to redeem Ruth, and was able to redeem their land. He could do it all. And so Naomi tells Ruth, hey, go wash yourself. She says, go wash, anoint, and put on your cloak. And we see these three Hebrew words used in succession in another place in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 12. And this is a picture of when David's son dies, King David, his son dies, and he gets up after his son dies, and he washes, anoints, and he changes his clothes. And so Naomi is asking Ruth to make herself look nice for the marriage proposal. But I also wonder if it went a step further, if she was asking her daughter-in-law to step out of mourning, just like we see David doing when he is stepping out of mourning his son. So by doing this, Ruth was showing Boaz that she was ready and willing to do what she is asking of him. She's supposed to step out of mourning and ask him to marry her. And so she does that. She goes to her, the threshing floor. She waits until Boaz is asleep, and she uncovers his feet, and she lays down. And in Ruth 3, 8 and 9, it says, At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And it's interesting. I told you this morning that there are two words in hebrew for a woman slave and the first one the lowest rung she identified this morning he could that one can't marry but guess what she does she uses a ma which is a servant that can marry amen she getting all prepared and so she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer and if i was watching this movie i would have to turn away for secondhand embarrassment amen because this whole situation is awkward. He's like, who are you? And she's all, oh, don't worry about me. I'm not a stalker. My mother-in-law came up with a plan that you and I should be married. That's why I'm here. But I want you to know that although it's awkward in our culture, Ruth is acting within her rights under the law, God's law to what she's asking of Boaz. She's absolutely acting within her, her rights. But it's bold because she's in a super compromising position here. She's laying at the feet of a man by herself at night on the threshing floor asking him to marry her. And really her reputation in the community lay in Boaz's hands. Because if he doesn't understand her motive, he could think that what she was asking for was sexual and he could actually throw her out or he could mistreat her. So what Ruth is doing is putting a lot of faith in Boaz's character here. She knows that he is a man of character, and she's trusting him and trusting God. And many commentaries I read made this scene sexual, and I, I don't agree at all. I don't agree at all. I think it's risky. I think it put Ruth in a compromising position, but I don't believe what Ruth is asking for is immoral because she's using the same language that Boaz had talked to her from this morning. Remember, and when he says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 12, a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Basically, he's saying, hey, 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 you have some things at your disposal because you came under the protection of God. And as she's getting to know the law of God, she's saying, hey, God has provided you to be my protection will you please let me spread will you please spread your wings over me to be my protection will you please redeem me and i think at this moment on the threshing floor it was a full circle moment for ruth this idea of a full circle moment where you get to stand up and do something different because do you remember how moab started we talked a little bit about it in our first talk See, Moab started from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. They, and everything that those girls, those daughters, everything they knew, everyone they knew was destroyed. And it ended up being the two daughters and Lot and they can't figure out a way in which their family line's going to be preserved. So they come up with a plan. They take control because they have no idea how in the world is this going to work out. So they decide they have to make their own plan. And by making their own plan, they, they go get their father drunk, they sleep with him, and they have a baby. And from that, the Moabite people come, and we've read in in our text over and over again what is the stigma that sticks to ruth ruth the moabite ruth the moabite she can't get away from it it's what she's known by that's all anyone ever sees about her she is a moabite and right now she is deciding to do something different And not only is she a Moabite, she's a widow, without the protection of a man in a patriarchal culture, and it's not an easy life. And her future looks bleak because she doesn't, and she doesn't seem to have a way out. There's nothing she can physically do to change her situation until Naomi brings up God's provision of a redeemer. Amen. And Ruth waited until Boaz was done eating and drinking. And this was not the same as Lot in Genesis 19. When he was so drunk, he didn't even know what happened to him. Boaz was not drunk, and Ruth was not taking control of the situation. She makes a request, and she leaves the answer in Boaz's hands. She's not taking control. See, this Moabite was redeeming. Her heritage, amen? She was redeeming her heritage. She was standing up and doing different things differently than, her, than her, her, the, her ancestors had done. And because she stood up and did things differently, the heritage that she had been given, she didn't pass down. She passed down a different legacy to her children. And how many of you today need to stand up and pass down a different legacy Just because you were born into an ungodly heritage doesn't mean you can't stand up and do things differently. It doesn't mean it. It's time to stand up and with Jesus redeem what you have been given. My parents are first generation Christians. We come from a long line of sin and addiction. That's my heritage. Sin and addiction. How many of you are with me? Anyone? Amen. Yep. The things Jesus does for us. So my family came to know Jesus when I was eight years old. All of us, we kind of came to know Jesus together. And my parents didn't know much, but you know what they knew? They knew they wanted to stand up and do things differently. They knew that they wanted to pass down something different than they had been given. And so with Jesus, they decided to stand up and redeem what the enemy had stolen And guess what? Because of their decision, my heritage is different. Because of their decision, my kids' heritage is different. Because of their decision, my grandkids' heritage is different. But guess what? When my parents were standing up and making that decision, they didn't see in the future. They were doing the hard work of doing it because guess what's hard? Doing something different than you've been taught, that's hard. But it's possible with Jesus. It is absolutely possible with Jesus. And because of two people that stood up and decided to break the cycle of sin and do things differently, it changed a line of people. And guess what? You get to be that person. You get to be that person in your family that stands up and does it differently. It doesn't matter how much sin you've come from. Doesn't even matter how much sin you've actually participated in. You get to stand up, make a choice, and do things differently. My question to all of you tonight is who needs to come under the shadow of God's wings tonight? See, Boaz is just a shadow of a truer and greater redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Just a shadow. Just an image to show us what was to come. And see, God sent every single one of us in this world a redeemer. Did you know that? Sent every single one of us a redeemer. And why would He do that? Because all of us, like Elimelech, have walked out of the promised land. We have. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because Adam and Eve sinned so long ago and broke that perfect relationship to God, we all bear that destruction. We all bear that fall. But the Bible also says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So the wages of sin is death. If we all have sin, we're physically alive. So what's dead? We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. And there's nothing that we can do about it on our own. Not one thing. But remember, Naomi teaches Ruth that God provided for them by giving them a redeemer. And God did the same for us. And remember that God is a covenant-keeping God. And he is the same God that loves you and wants to give you an inheritance of eternal life in heaven with him, and he wants you to be spiritually alive. And so what did he do? He sent his one and only son to buy you back, to buy me back, to redeem us from sin and death. He's buying us back from sin and death because the wages of sin sin is death. And because of that, our Redeemer had to pay the redemption price. Just like Boaz, when he redeems Ruth, he has to pay a price for her. But what is our redemption price? It's our Savior's life. It's his life. And why could he, why could he redeem us? Because he lived a perfect life. And by his perfect blood that was shed on the cross, he died and rose again, so that whoever asks him to redeem them, he will cover with his righteousness. He will forgive them of their sin and give them new life by his spirit. And with Jesus, guess what? You have a new heritage, you have a new future, and a new legacy to pass down. The old is gone. The old is gone. If you are here tonight and you realize that you have never been redeemed by Jesus, we're going to have a moment in in a minute. Megan's going to come up and take us into the steps of what that looks like because we want to make sure that we partner with you and share with you what that looks like and what that means and how you can take the next steps in that relationship. But I also wanna talk to us tonight, those of us who need to stand up tonight and say, I wanna do things differently. I wanna do things differently, no matter what your past looks like, no matter how many generations of sin have been there, you're saying, tonight, I'm changing that. I'm changing that. I'm given a new choice. I'm gonna live differently in light of what Jesus has done. If tonight you wanna make the intentional choice to pass down a godly heritage to the next generation, would you please stand up? Would you please stand up? I want you to know I'm standing. I am standing up with you. Why? Because I wanna pass down a godly heritage to the next generation. I want my grandkids, grandkids, grandkids to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I wanna stand up like my parents did. My parents did. They stood up and they made a difference. And because of that, three generations of people know and love Jesus. That's the kind of person I want to do. Be, I want to be a kingdom changer. And we can only do that with Jesus. When we partner with him. That's the only way we can do that. And I want you to know. I'm going to pray over us in just a second. So keep standing. But I want you to know that these decisions... These decisions, whether it's coming to Jesus for the very first time, whether it is returning to him after a long time of being away, or it's intentionally choosing to live for him, I'm letting you know, girls, we're on the, we're on the threshing floor tonight because this is the harvest. This is the harvest, the gathering of God's people, and he's not done with it. He is not done with it. Let me pray for us tonight. Dear Lord... I thank you so much that you have given us the ability through your son to stand up and break generational sin. I thank you so much that your life and your blood poured out on us is so powerful that sin cannot defeat it. And that you break chains and they could be strong, strong shackles, but you break them like they're nothing. And tonight, we as women are standing here saying we want to pass down a godly generation or godly heritage to the next generation because this world doesn't want anything to do with you, but we want to be bold women who stand on your truth and proclaim your gospel with boldness. Give us boldness as we go down that mountain tomorrow. May we speak life over our families and our communities and our churches, and it all starts with you. It all starts with you, Jesus. Be with us tonight and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives as we share in our redemption, in in your redemption story. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.
1: I find that so unbelievably compelling to watch Julie do that. And I love that she was the first one that was standing as she invited you to stand. That is a courageous, bold move, Julie, so thanks for going first. And like she mentioned, even in standing, can I tell you something? The weight of that change doesn't fall Solely on your shoulders, as she mentioned. He's with you. He's pursued you. He brought you here. He enabled you to stand. He compelled you to stand. And he's going with you, behind you, within, and before you. I'm compelled by this, that if Jesus lives within us by his Spirit... If that is the case, then every good thing that he's going to be doing in you, every way that he's going to grow you, every way that he's going to grow you already is within you. It's his life in you. Everything he's going to do in you. Everything you're going to become is already within you. He's with you. So you have nothing to fear moving forward because you don't have to do anything alone. But I do wonder if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with the living God. And maybe you even just stood and you're going, okay, I, I can do this again. Okay, I can do this. And can I tell you how I'm learning to respond? Is when, I, when I make bold moments like that and I stand up, here's how I'm, how I'm responding now. I know that I can't do this. <laughs> I know that I can't do this. And I'm standing because, oh, Lord, how I need you. Do you see the difference? It's not I stand and I say, God, I can do this. It's I stand and say, God, I need you. And for many of us, we uh, backstage just shared the first moment that we called out to God and said, God, I need you. And that is for salvation. That as we come to his feet and ask for redemption, he says, yes, because he has made a way. And just like Julie said, we couldn't get to God on our own. And this is the distinction between Christianity and every other world religion. Every other world religion says, do this to get to God. Christianity says, we know you can't get to him because he is perfect and holy and set apart. So he comes to you. And it starts in Genesis, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3-9, when Adam, when Adam and Eve make the mistake, God moves toward them in relationship. And then he does it again in the incarnation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four guys who give an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus the life of Jesus. How do we have the life of Jesus? It's because of God who didn't wait for you to try to get to him because he knew that you couldn't, so he came to us. And as she said, he lived the perfect life because in order to be in a perfect relationship with the perfect God, the standard is perfection because he is. And the only one that could live up to God's perfect standard is God himself, so he sent himself, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man lived the perfect life we haven't, died the death we deserve. As she said, the wages of our sin, what we deserve is death, not just physical death, spiritual death, a separation from God because he's holy and he's perfect, and we deserve to be so far. He dies the death he deserved. He takes the consequences that our sin demands for us. And the story doesn't stop there. We just celebrated this last weekend. (laughs) Because on the third day, he proved two things. Number one, he is God. Number two, he has the power to make anything dead alive again. Anything. And what's the wages of our sin? Death. He has the power to make us alive. Not just once we die that we could live with him for all of eternity, but he wants to give us life here and now. Because he wants to give us his life, us and him. He and us. And he goes on in Romans to say this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, saved from what? Sin, death, and all the consequences. (laughs) Although we will experience consequence for our sin here and now on this earth, he has paid the penalty for that which we deserve, which is ultimate separation from God. He took that which we deserve so that we would never have to live in, a day without him. If there's anyone in this room that has just never confessed Jesus as Lord, here's the beautiful thing about Hume Lake and why I love working here. We will always give an invitation for that because there's nothing more loving we could do than to create a moment for you to say yes and confess Jesus as Lord. And I'll tell you this, I'm not going to lead you through a prayer. The beauty is we come alongside you within your church and the group that you came with. We also, if you came maybe as an individual solo without a group around you, or you need someone to talk you through this type of decision, we have a group of hosts, everyone with a name, a red name badge, who would love to come alongside you in this decision. But if you're sitting right there, and maybe all you have is questions, who is Jesus again? And what does a real relationship look like with a living God? Because Jesus is alive. He didn't just rise from the dead. He actually walked around and showed his scars to tell his story. And then he gathered a few and said, okay, here's the plan. It's you. <laughs> but I'm going to be with you always. And then it got a little confusing because that's when he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. He's with us always. He's with us. Yes, because in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And in Acts chapter 2, he sends the power of his Holy Spirit to dwell within those who believe. See, Jesus, fully God, fully man, could only walk with a few. But he said he's going to be with all who believe, forever and always. And so his Spirit comes to dwell within all who believe, who confess Jesus, I cannot get to you, but I trust you came for me, died the death I deserve, and rise to give me life. I've been running to try to find life on my own. I'm exhausted, and it hasn't worked, and it won't work. I want your life. I want your righteousness. He is right before God. I am not. He took that which we deserve and by grace, unmerited favor through faith and trust, not in our ability to get to God, but his willingness to come to us. By grace, through faith, we don't have to put our trust in ourselves. We put our trust in him. He took that which we deserve. We receive what he deserves. A perfect, ready for it, intimate, loving relationship with God himself not just for all of eternity in heaven, but also here and now. You don't have to do a single thing alone again. And if that's you and you go, I just have a lot of questions, but I know that I need Jesus, and you've never put your faith and trust in him, I want to pray for you. and I want to create space for the people around you who I'll tell you have likely been praying for you in this moment, that you would take another stand, maybe for a lot of us, the first stand, and maybe just one and maybe none. Praise God that we're all secure in the faith. But if that's you, you know that you need Jesus. Would you stand to your feet and declare, Jesus, you are Lord. If that's you, you can do that right where you stand, right where you sit. Yeah. 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 Can we just uh, circle up around and lay some hands? You're not alone. And if Jesus says, hey, my body's here, he refers to the church as his body. And so you got a hands around you, just representing His body. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for this gal. You know her full story. You know what led to this moment, and you led, You know what led her to stand. So, Lord, I pray not just for her, but for the people around her, that they would lead her into Your love, not into effort, but into an openness and willingness to receive Your grace. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your grace. We love You pray for courage for her to continue to walk in step with your spirit as she opens to receive your life. We pray. And all God's children said, amen. Praise God. Yeah. I'll tell you, this is like the best part of my job. And I've never seen a community rush like that. (laughs) I've seen like a buddy or two. He's given you a wealth of a church body to walk with you. We don't have to walk alone, ladies, but sometimes it requires a stand, maybe not just for the first time, but continually to stand and say, oh, Lord, how I need you. And I'll tell you, prayer ministry, I used to think it was like a sad moment where it's like, come receive prayer, and it's like, fine. And then I see this gal, and I'm like, no, 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 that's prayer ministry. As we stand and just go, oh, Lord, how I need you. So prayer ministry is not walking toward a place of weakness. It's actually finally walking toward your greatest place of strength. So I'll just say, we're going to go into a time of worship as a response. And this is for all of us. It's really good news. Our Redeemer lives, and he is worthy of our praise. If you do need prayer, our ladies are going to be in the back, as always, our hosts with the red badges. We just don't want you to do a single thing alone. He died to make it possible for you not to be as alone as you feel at times, ladies. He's with you always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the good news. That's really good. Good enough. Good enough for us, God. So much so that we don't have to be good enough. (laughs) Because you already are. So I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that our effort in response would be grace-driven effort. Unmerited favor on our life that spurs us on. To change the trajectory of our family. God, would your good news spur us on to what you've asked us to do next, not just with our words, but with our actions and with our lives, we pray. Oh, Lord, be glorified and lifted high in our worship, we pray. And all God's children said,